Welcome to the GDPR Stand Up Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping you succeed with GDPR compliance. Your host is Rocio Beza. Let's get started. Hey guys, Rocio here and welcome to episode 26. We are going to be talking about how are people actually at risk GDPR com- c- compliance. So we just passed the one year mark of GDPR being in effect. And I think that there's no better way to celebrate it than to just open up a discussion about consumers. This is the start of our consumer strike. Um, if you caught us on episode 25, this, this, this is where I talked about how we are going to be introducing new tracks where we are going to have uh specific focus areas and guests around different discussions so that we can broaden our discussion on GDPR. What I like about GDPR is that it looks to promote improved transparency, choice, control for individuals, for consumers, so that we have a better understanding of personal information that organizations hold about us. And this improve, with this improvement, we should have a better idea of, okay, what kind of data does that actually include? It should give us a better idea of, or, or not idea, but it should inform us of the different choice the different options that we have that we can exercise under GDPR so that we can feel at ease about the organizations that are holding our personal information. I've been doing work in data security and data privacy for almost a decade now. And time and time again, I think the focus is on talking about the impact to the business. We hear about fines. We hear about how Uber faced a $148 million fine for violating state data breach notification laws. We've also heard about investigations, how Facebook and Cambridge Analytica had a relationship where Facebook user information was shared with Cambridge Analytica and it was used to to build campaigns that we're looking to influence who Americans would be voting for. We've also heard about congressional hearings and how Equifax was involved in a security incident where our regulators, our politicians were wanting to understand, okay, what, what happened? What happened? We've also talked about the impact to stock price. So if you're a publicly traded company or if you belong or if you're supporting a publicly traded company and the company was involved in a data breach, that's something that is looked at closely. And we also look at the impact to sales and shopping activity. I still remember how the data breach involving Target was the discuss and how this happened or this came to light during the holiday season and there was a lot of emphasis in the news on, oh my gosh, what's, what's going to happen with the holiday traffic that Target was counting on? We hear all these headlines and all these discussions about how a business is impacted, how they are hurting. But we don't hear about the impact to people. This is not being discussed. 
not extensively at least and i think it's time that we use this platform to talk about it by talking about it by asking questions by talking with our peers our colleagues our managers the leaders at the companies that we support it'll eventually lead to improved education it'll eventually lead to changes across the board the public will start to demand change we will start to see customers demand change or deciding to buy or to work with someone else that is respecting their data we'll eventually see improved laws particularly here in the u.s we'll eventually see changes in organizational attitudes about security we'll eventually start to see organizations buying into investing in security and not just because the next big deal or the next partner is asking for questions or is asking for information on data security but because it's the right thing to do and we'll eventually see improved spend and bud and budget so that organizations have the right resources the adequate resources to tackle this in in-house Let's switch gears here for a, a little bit and talk about data protection impact assessments. I love these. These are also known as D DPIAs, and this is covered extensively in Article 35 of the GDPR. And what this is, is think of an assessment that your organization will have to perform if there is some type of change that happens where this change impacts how your organization is handling how it's processing personal information if the change that the organization is looking to make if it meets the thresholds under gdpr then you may be you may be required to perform these dpias before the change is actually made let me give you some good examples think of I don't know, maybe your organization is looking to use a new technology. Maybe it's looking to work with a new partner. Maybe it's looking to gather additional information about people to make better decisions or to improve the services that it offers. Or maybe there's a new business process that is added or a business process that will be changed so that the organization can, can do what it needs to, to do. If any of these types of changes that I covered, if any of these types of changes touch personal information, then under the GDPR, you may be required to take a, a closer look and perform a DPIA. And if you need to execute a DPIA, it must be executed. And it must be executed before this change is implemented. What I like about DPIAs is, is they, among other things, they require that the organization identify and assess risks to the rights and freedoms of data subjects. In other words, these are little reviews where the planned change should be thought through. It should be analyzed to determine if this is introducing risks to the rights and the freedoms of people, of actual people. I would, 
I think that if we covered some examples, it'll be easy easier for our listeners to understand this because it may seem vague. I I know this felt vague the the in my early years when I was in the cybersecurity space, and and only because I've been doing this work for many many years, I feel that it it's fine. It it now makes sense. If your organization is moving to a new environment, this can be a paid environment or this can be a free environment that you're moving to because it's available on the internet. This can be an app or a system. This can be a fancy app, let's say SAP. It, but it could also be a, an app or a system that we use every day and we think that we don't need to execute a deep DPIA. A good example of this would be Google or Google Drive or Trello or Jira. These are tools that are being used extensively in younger organizations or organizations that are ad- agile. And oftentimes these are these tools, these apps, these services are being adopted. It involves personal information. May maybe Google Drive is being used so that there are Google Sheets that hold information about the customers that the organization holds. Or maybe Trello boards are being used to manage projects. Or maybe Trello boards are being used to keep track of any cases that are outstanding with a customer. The same applies with Jira. The same applies with Slack. So if there are any new tools, new environments, new partners, new service providers that your organization is adopting, and this involves sharing or providing access to customer information, you may need to be doing these DPIAs. During my journey with learning about GDPR and helping my clients with GDPR, there, I have a number of go-to resources. And one of the most helpful ones are is the one provided by the UK ICO. In one of their guide their guidelines, they talk about how to execute a DPIA. And I'm gonna read um, part of that guidance here. So under a DPIA, the organization must consider the potential impact on individuals and any harm or damage your processing may cause, whether physical, emotional, or material. In particular, look at whether the processing could contribute to any of a number of different items. What this means is, hey, whenever your organization is looking to make a change and that change touches personal information about people, you need to think about what can go wrong. What can go wrong? What kind of harm? or impact can the change bring to a person and how you are looking to use their personal information. And you need to consider physical harm. You need to consider emotional harm and you need to consider material harm. They also list out a number of different items that should be considered as part of this assessment. I won't go through all of the items on the bullet list, but I will focus on three particular ones that relate to consumer 
impact. My motivation with this podcast is to improve the state of data privacy for the everyday consumer. I think that consumers don't realize how much information about us is out there. The volume of organizations that have our personal information and when organizations don't have the right programs, the right security controls or privacy controls in place, we're building these environments, these containers with lots and lots of people's personal information. And if it falls in the wrong hands, it can be intentional or it can be by mistake. But if it falls in the wrong hands, it can really impact a person's life, a person's quality of life. And I'm going to focus on three. Three ways that a person's quality of life can be impacted are by identity theft or fraud, by financial loss, and by this inability to access services or opportunities. When it comes to identity theft or fraud, this is when someone impersonates you. Someone uses your information and they impersonate you. They Say they are you. When I'm talking about financial loss, financial loss, let's break it down into two buckets. Think like a of a general financial loss and a fraudulent financial loss. So what what I mean by a a, a general case of financial loss is. Say someone gets a hold of your personal information and they use it in a way that you weren't aware of or you never authorized that. This can be someone opens up a credit line under your name or applies for a mortgage under your name or buys things online under your name, your credit card or your bank account number. There is financial loss in cleaning this this up. If this happens to you, You need to spend your time and sometimes your money to clean this up. In the case of fraud, this might be someone filling out applications to get a credit card or a loan under your name, but it can also be theft of cash or assets. Just think about this. Think about someone somehow gaining access to your bank account. And draining that out, all of your savings just drained out. And someone else being able to walk away with that money that you worked very hard to save. In the case of access to services or opportunities, if our personal information falls in the wrong hands, it can really limit that. It can impact the services or the opportunities that you have, that I have. Think of someone that might be wanting to shop for a new home. If their personal information was used and there was a case of identity theft or fraud, this person that was looking forward to financing their first home, they may no longer have that opportunity or they may not have that opportunity in the timelines that they wanted. And this just doesn't this just doesn't 
this doesn't just apply to someone wanting to buy a new home. It also applies to someone wanting to lease an apartment. It's more and more common for landlords to require a background check or a credit check. And if your information has been used, has been compromised, there's been a case of identity theft or fraud, it may mean that your opportunities, the apartments that you are able to lease, that may be a short list because someone used your information in a, in a very inappropriate way. Your credit score or your credit report is now impacted and you are no longer qualified to lease an apartment where you want to. Or you may find it very difficult to lease an apartment that you are wanting to. Another example is with a vehicle. Say you want to buy your first car or you want to buy your next new car. Or you want to finance a used car. But if someone stole your identity or committed fraud using your information... You may not be able to complete the purchase. You may have to wait. And the same applies to any large purchase on credit. If our personal information, guys, is stolen or used fraudulently, it can really impact the quality of a person's life. It, it will rob us of our time to clean it up. It will rob us of our money to clean it up. It will rob us of our mental energy time away from the family it'll impact us and this isn't right and if your organization is holding personal information about people it needs to take their responsibility seriously we have a moral obligation to perform these dpias if your organization is holding information about people i'm talking to you if your organization is holding people's names, contact information, physical address, email address, banking information, credit card information, medical information, social security information, or other unique identifiers. This applies to you. You have a moral obligation to conduct these DPIAs. And if you don't know what a DPIA is, if you don't know if this is an obligation for your organization under GDPR or you need help executing these, please get in touch. Send me an email. I can help you. To everyone that is listening, it's our job to ensure that these DPIAs are being done. We need to speak up. It's not just to help our organizations pass the next audit or security due diligence with a partner or a regulator. We need to be doing the right thing and executing these so we are thinking about, truly thinking about, hey, that new project that we're thinking of taking on, how will it impact those that we are wanting to serve? Is it going to per place them in harm's, way, in harm's way? Is it going to impact the quality of their life? And really think through, through that. And if you're feeling powerless at affecting change here i want to challenge you i want to leave you with a, ch a challenge say you belong to an organization and your organization holds information about people it's your job to speak up and raise interesting questions if you're in tech you need to ask the next time you get assigned to a new project you need to ask 
if a DPIA was done. If you are in legal or compliance, you need to ask if a DPIA has been done in any new pro projects that are that you are aware of. You want to request for a copy to ensure that, hey, like this is actually being documented. You want to review it and you want to ask yourself, was this actually thought out or was this hastily put together to satisfy a security requirement? If you belong to a product team, you need to ask who owns this? Who is responsible for carrying out these DPIAs? Is it us? Is it technology? Is it compliance? If you're a leader of a product, you also need to be asking this question. Who owns this responsibility? Do I own this? Does my team own it? Or do I need to reach out to someone else to support me here? If you're the member of a board, you need to make sure that these are being done. And lastly, if you are in HR, this also applies to you. Just think of all the personal information that your team holds from applicants, candidates, employees, past employees, even yourself. If you're bringing on a new vendor, if you are using a new system, if it, it could be paid or it could be free, you need to be asking if the DPIA has been done. And if it hasn't been done, you need to put the pressure to make sure that these are going to be done before this new project is executed. And maybe you're listening to this podcast. You don't belong to an organization that holds personal information about people. But this is something that's still that you want to be a part of. Just be more mindful. The next time you go shopping at a store, the next time you go shopping online, the next time you sign up for a free service online, ask your questions. Does it make sense that someone's asking for my telephone number? Does it make sense that this person is asking for my email? Does it make sense that this other person is asking me to share personal information about me? Just 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 pause and ask, hey, do you really need that information? And if the answer is yes, is ask another question. How will that information actually be used? Am I required to provide you with that information? This weekend, we went to a retail store. I took my daughter. She really wanted a, a bear. And as and this this is a so the place that we went to it's pretty awesome because you get to customize the bear that you want and you get to take it home. And when we were at the cashier, the very nice uh, cashier asked, "Oh, can 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 I get your email address?" And I said, "No, thank you." And she looked at me confused, and she said, "Oh, but." This is how we can send you coupons and promotional material. And I told, told her, no, I'm good. I was being asked for, I was being asked to share my email for a bear that I bought for my doll. For, I'm sorry, for a bear that I bought for my daughter. And yes, it was uncomfortable for me to, to say, no, thank you. Yes, it was uncomfortable for me to say, no, I'm good. I think that the cashier was a little confused because I, I think people are just 
when we ask for information, especially when we're doing a transaction and we just want to complete that as fast as possible, I think she was taken back by my response. She was surprised that I didn't want to provide my email address for coupons. And in the back of my mind, like, I don't think that there was, no, I know there was no bad intent on her part. She was just doing her job. But I don't want an organization to keep track of what I'm buying and where I'm buying it and who I'm buying it for. I don't want to share this information with an organization that might be selling it to affiliates or partners so that they can also sell things to me or my daughter. And I know this is probably something that you don't think about, but I think about this every single time that I shop. I am mindful of the information that I'm being asked to provide. And there's been cases where I decide to cancel the transaction because I don't feel comfortable providing the information that they're asking me for. And I know that we're at different levels here. Uh, This may not be important to you or it might be somewhat important to to, to you. But I think the point is here is that we should all have choice as to what information we provide about ourselves. This basically wraps it up for today's episode. If you are tackling GDPR, CCPA, or any other data privacy or data security initiative at your organization and you can use some help, I can support you. Email me so we can chat about your needs and the different ways that we might be able to work together. And you can reach me at rocio, R-O-C-I-O, at cybersecuritybase.com. Thank you very much, guys, and uh, I'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the GDPR Stand-Up Podcast. If you need additional help, please check us out at gdprstandup.com. Until next time.